My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hey, it's Jordan. Before we serve up this week's episode of In This Economy, I wanted to remind you, you can get these episodes two days early, every Thursday, by subscribing or following In This Economy in its own podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts. Plus, you will get some bonus episodes as we go, including one that's there already if you want to check it out that features myself and producer Steph Phillips chatting about why the heck we did this thing in the first place. For now, of course, you'll find every episode here on Saturdays. But if you want it early and you like the show, we hope you'll find us over there and give us a follow. Enjoy the show. I have always struggled with debt. This is Anna. She's in her late 20s, working as an urban planner in Burnaby, B.C., When I first got my credit card, like, near the end of university, I had a $1,000 cap on it. And I really, really liked it because I would hit $1,000 and it didn't feel good, but at least it was just $1,000. That's so doable. I can pay it back eventually. It's fine. And then in the last several years, my bank has offered me almost annually now increases on my credit card. And then as... COVID hit, things were tighter. I like went through a thing with my family and I just wasn't able to work for a bit. And it became easier and easier to rationalize taking these increases on my credit card. And so now slowly, because now my cap is at, it was at 2000, that was at 4000. And it has built up to a cap of $9,000. And I now have $9,000 in credit card debt. Anna reached out to us because she's been struggling to keep her credit card spending under control. And sure, sometimes it's because she's using it to live outside her means. But at other times, she just needs to cover the cost of living while she waits for her next paycheck. And so what I'll do is I'll relegate all of my spending to my credit card so that I know I have enough for rent in my checking account. And so it becomes the fallback when I'm feeling financially squeezed. But then it also hurts me more because I get dinged with all of these interest charges, late fees, etc. because I'm not keeping track of how I'm using my credit card and I'm using it recklessly. Anna knows that she's only going to go further into debt with this approach, but she's also having a hard time taking it as seriously as she knows she should. I kind of write it off as like, oh, well, a lot of people have debt now. I have a number of friends who have gone into credit card debt and paid it off. I know a few friends who have had way more debt than me on their credit cards, like 14,000, 40,000. And so in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I'm still under 10. Like I, I'm not happy about having it, but I think I'm still under this illusion that it almost isn't real. Despite all of this, Anna is trying to get her credit card paid off. It's just not working. I've gotten to this point where 
the average owing on my credit card is building year by year. And I'm scared that it's going to become like I'm, I'm scared I'm going to get to a point where in a year or two, I'm crossed over into like 13,000 or, or 18,000 and then it'll feel like I can't get out of it. Okay, forgive me for this, but Anna has reached her limit when it comes to credit card debt. And she is not alone, whether it's to pay for a trip abroad or just the bill for a grocery trip down the street. More Canadians than ever are relying on credit just to get by. The average Canadian right now has over $4,000 in credit card debt. And according to Equifax, a well-known consumer credit reporting agency, the average amount of debt Canadians carry has increased by more than 20% since 2019. The effects of inflation on the everyday cost of living isn't going away anytime soon. So is it even possible right now to get by without taking on loans or falling into debt traps? How do you avoid debt or just avoid drowning in it in this economy? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and yes, you are listening to In This Economy. It's a show that helps you understand the systems behind our money problems, from grocery bills to mortgage renewals to cars and weddings and babies and, yeah, all that debt sitting on your credit card. In every episode, I talk to a person like Anna who is facing a financial challenge and then to an expert who knows how to deal with it. This is a person who can explain not just the factors behind the problem, but can offer, if not perfect solutions, then some options, some tricks, some tips, some things you can do to get to where you're going, even in this economy. Listen, we've all done it. I know I have, and if you tell me you haven't, I'll expect you come from money. Some of us are doing it right now, and others are living with the results. Yeah, I'm talking about whipping out the credit card to buy something when you know you don't have the money to pay for it. Do we know, when we do that, how much it's actually costing us? Tori Dunlap doesn't think so. There's a lack of education about debt, about how loans work, about all of the restrictions and the, the features of each kind of loan. Tori is the founder of Her First 100K, a financial education company aimed at young women. She's the author of Financial Feminist and hosts the Financial Feminist podcast. In research for my book, Financial Feminist, I actually discovered that the vast majority of women who are in debt are in debt because they don't understand how a loan works. And that's not, of course, because they're stupid, but it's because no one told them. No one taught them the difference between principal and interest. If you go into a store, a lot of store credit cards are branded as rewards cards. They don't understand and realize that these are actually credit cards and that you can go into debt for them. So that's the first thing. Do you have a two-minute spiel about how loans work? I Just love in case that. somebody is listening to this and is like, oh, shit, that's me. 
So a basic loan is made up of a principal and an interest. Principal is the original amount of money you took out. So if you put $1,000 in a credit card, that is your principal. That is the original amount of money. If you take out a mortgage for $200,000, right, the principal is the original amount of money. The interest is basically the cost of that loan because they're not going to just give you money for free. So the interest can sometimes compound in a simple way. And I mean, that's literally what the it's called is simple interest. But the stuff that's really gnarly is what's called compound interest. It's what makes investing so exciting because you're earning money on money on money on money with your interest. And it's what makes a lot of debt suck so hard because your interest only earns interest, earns interest, earns interest. It's why I get tagged in a TikTok every other week about someone who has been paying off their student loans for five years yet owes a larger balance than when they started because that interest continues to accrue. So how do we pay off debt? It's actually shockingly simple. We do everything we can to not only contribute our monthly payments or our normal everyday payments, but also contributing extra money towards not the debt in general, but towards the principal specifically. Because if you can lower the principal, you're paying less in interest. This is how you're able to pay off debt faster. Because if you have less money to begin with, well, it's charging less interest, it's earning less interest on that interest, and that's how you can get out of debt quicker. Illiteracy is one easily correctable thankfully, reason people find themselves in debt. Uh, what are others? Some are, we should acknowledge this here as we often do on this show, some are beyond people's control. Oh, completely. Uh, I mean, I say this in my book, we were told often that going into debt was a necessary part of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm American, we have a huge student loan crisis, obviously trillions of dollars of student debt here in the United States. Yet we're told like that is that is what you should do is you should go to college and get a degree no matter how how much it costs. And often debt is actually a necessary part of life, yet we feel all of the shame for it. The average person in order to accelerate their life by getting a degree, by purchasing a house, by starting a business will have to go into debt to do that. Yet we do feel this shame. So to your point, I think circumstances, of course, and systemic oppression play into this in a massive way. That's the largest part of the personal finance equation. It's not your personal choices. It's all of the systemic issues you're facing. But also uniquely with debt is there's so much shame and judgment around it. Mm. Um, I have my nemesis in the United States, Dave Ramsey, right? His number one thing. It's like debt is awful. You must pay it off immediately. And like you can't do anything else. You can't have fun if you pay, have debt. You can't go out to eat. You can't do anything nice for yourself. And that contributes, I think, to this feeling of, well, if I have debt, I'm just not going to look at it. I'm not mm. going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to make a plan for it because I feel so much shame. So if that is you, know you're not alone. We actually have a term in the personal finance community for it, and it's called the ostrich effect. You bury your head in the sand. You act like your problems don't exist. And that is a totally understandable conclusion to the dilemma you're facing, but not the most healthy. So yeah, definitely circumstances, of course, as well as just the shame and judgment. And I would say lastly about debt, the compound interest, like it's so hard to take out a loan and then to feel like, okay, I'm doing what I was supposed to do. You know, I, I, I got my degree or I'm again, purchasing a house or maybe, yeah, I did go into credit card debt, but I needed to do that. And then suddenly now six months, a year, five years later, I'm in more debt than when I started. Yeah. And it's just, it's this, again, it just, it's like a shame cycle. You feel bad because you're in debt. You feel bad because you won't look at it. It makes you feel worse. And then it just keeps going over and over and over again. Right off the top, uh, we talked about credit cards. I mentioned not all debt is created equal. Um, yeah. I don't know if you keep a running ranking 
in your head of them, but can you just outline the typical types of debt people find themselves in and uh, which ones do people really need to watch out for? Yeah. So again, I know my like United States numbers and I imagine they're very similar. The average student debt in the U.S. for interest rates is anywhere from four to five percent. Mm. Mortgages, uh, depending on the time, right, we're looking at as of this recording about seven percent interest, eight percent, right. But usually they're like three to four. So that debt is more manageable just in terms of interest rate. But it's also debt that tends to be a higher principal, right? Right. You're not buying a $40,000 house, most of us, right? Not in Canada. Yeah, I live in Seattle, Washington, where, you know, you're not getting a two bedroom, two bath for less than 900,000. Like that's just not happening. I'm so, in Toronto where the average home price is $1.2 million. Oh yeah. Crazy, crazy. So yeah, it's, we're looking at a more manageable interest rate typically, but we're looking at a larger amount. You're looking at, you know, a significant amount for student loans. You're looking at a significant amount for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. So depending on how you classify that debt, for me, it's really about the interest rate of like, how bad is the debt? It's about interest rate. So that's more manageable. Where we start to get really sticky is credit cards. The lowest credit card interest rate you're going to find is 15%. But the average is like 21, 22, sometimes all the way up to 30% interest. So you can imagine if I put purchases on a credit card and I'm not paying them off and they're accruing interest, how much of a hole you end up digging for yourself, especially if you continue putting purchases on a card that you can't afford. It's just compounds and compounds and compounds to the point where it's just a really big number for a relatively small amount of principal. As you were saying that, I realized that I actually have no idea what the interest rate on my credit card is. Most of us don't. Now, for me, I couldn't tell you either, but I use credit cards as debit cards. So for me, actually knowing my interest rate doesn't really matter because I'm not going to go into debt. This is why I talk about in my book and on my podcast, like the importance of an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And actually, even if you're in debt, it's important that we save an emergency fund first so that we don't go into debt or go into more debt trying to pay for an emergency. Because what I see a lot is people who you know, get laid off or they have some sort of medical emergency or their cat gets sick or they have a flat tire and they don't have that emergency fund saved. Well, where are you turning to? You're turning to credit cards. And although they're a really great resource, if you can use them responsibly, it's like a tool, right? It's like a knife. This knife can cut you vegetables, but if you misuse it, it can slice your finger. So it's really, really important that if you do have a credit card, you're understanding how to manage it responsibly, which means on time in full payments, not just paying the minimum balance, not keeping a balance month over month and having that emergency fund saved so you don't have to go into credit card debt, which is some of the most costly debt if you have you know, this unforeseen circumstance. Has it always been this way, especially around credit cards? Have they always been uh, seen as a tool that can go both ways. I feel like debt of all kinds, but especially just putting it on your credit card has become increasingly normalized. And I wonder how we got here. Yeah. I mean, it's, credit cards are a relatively new thing. You know, 1970s, 80s, Mm -hmm. 90s started becoming more popular. I think that the interesting thing about just the financial institutions in general, if we're like painting with broad strokes here, If you are to open a credit card and get your, you know, credit card packet that tells you the features of the card, the interest rate, the terms and conditions, right? You and I were just talking, like, I don't know if I know my percentage. Like, I don't know if I know my interest rate. 
my not so conspiracy conspiracy theory is that they do this on purpose. They make this extremely confusing. It's extremely fine print. One of the things I discovered from my book and my research was, um, especially again in the United States, college campuses uh, allowed credit card companies to just come and set up a booth. There would be like a day where it was like, Basically, credit card day. That's where I got my first card. I yeah, got a free. Go. Uh, I think I got a shirt for the local sports team. I signed right. up and I got my card with a thousand dollar limit, which I absolutely did not make enough money to afford. Right. So, it's it's you know they really brand credit cards in a way that's sexy and exciting, depending on who you talk to. Right. If you're talking to college students, it's free stuff. Mm. Right. Like I want free stuff. I want a frisbee. I want a shirt. I want a free meal. Great. I'll sign up for this card. I don't understand what it means, and they're not really explaining it to me. But that's fine. I interviewed a ex-employee of Victoria's Secret, perfect example of a company that is not unlike most retail companies that literally pays its employees a higher commission or incentivizes them to earn a bonus for the amount of people they get to sign up for their credit card. And only just recently have they been branding it as they should as a credit card. For many years, it was what they called an angel card, which was like a rewards card, but it was again, a credit card. So like the again, the not so conspiracy. Is that a relatively new thing? Sorry I, to interrupt you, yeah. but is that a relatively new thing? Like companies, every company now has one. Uh, mm-hmm. Up in Canada, a, a very famous one would be the Hudson's Bay Company, which has the Bay Card. I think it's just we're, we're hopefully starting to see through more of the BS. Mm-hmm. Like I think that this has been going on for a while, and companies have had to get sneakier and sneakier. And this is where, again, where we were talking about like, you know, systemic oppression and and policy change needs to happen. We've seen in the United States, a lot of policy change around like your terms and conditions must be really clear. Everything needs to be on your website. Everything needs to be in these sheets in like easy to read, understandable English, but we still have a long way to go. So this is again, like I started this, this conversation with saying the average person and especially the average woman does not understand how a loan works like that. Just even looking at that, you can understand why this is happening, why it's so easy to go into debt. And also it's just fun and exciting, right? If you're living a very like YOLO life, it's very easy to just be like, oh yeah, I'll fly to Cancun. I'll just put that on my credit card. Like it's very, very easy to get into that mindset without fully understanding the consequences. And I want people to live a beautiful life without deprivation where they get to go to Cancun, but they're not drinking a pina colada on the beach with a side of guilt, right? Or a side of, oh my gosh, how am I going to actually pay for this when I get home? Like the goal is to still get you to wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do, but without that like little voice in the back of your head that's going, but you can't, I can't, I can't afford this. Like that's the goal. You've mentioned guilt and shame related to debt um, a couple of times. I want to ask about the other side. When we have these conversations about, oh, you know, the average student loan is this much money. The average household in Canada has four grand uh, in credit card debt. Um, Is it encouraged in a way that, you know, hey, yeah, it'll be fun. You can fly to Cancun and look, everybody's in debt. It's just a part of life. I mean, this is just human psychology. Everybody else is doing it, so I can do it. Or everybody else is this, so it's fine. And again, I think that there's debt that propels your life or like betters your circumstances as like a net positive. And then there's debt that 
feels maybe good in the moment because again you get to go on that trip or that vacation hmm. but just leads to bigger consequences and we're starting to have more of those conversations i think as individuals and as a general society of what debt is worth it right again we're having a lot of conversations in the us about are like is a college degree actually worth it yeah and a lot of people are arguing no and i totally get it so I think that there is a general sentiment from, again, psychology, money or otherwise of like everybody else is doing it. So therefore it's fine that I do it. And it's, I was giving, I was talking to this, um, this reporter the other day about the girl math trend, which I don't know if you've seen on TikTok. Oh yes, yes, I've seen it. And uh, for anybody unfamiliar with it, let's play a couple of examples right here. Here's a list of things that I firmly believe because of girl math. Anything under $5 is free. Anything I buy with a gift card is free. Going to an event or a concert is free because I purchased the tickets so long ago, it like doesn't even count. If I buy something and then I return the item, I've profited because I wouldn't have had that money if I hadn't returned the item. So I bought this purse for $38, which means it was $30. Round down, not up. Girl math. Yeah, so girl math is, is this, you know, this idea of like, the mental gymnastics you have to do in order to like justify a purchase to yourself. Now, there's a lot of conversations that I'm having with reporters who ask me about girl math, about how women have to do this and have to justify their purchases to themselves and men don't, how women's purchases or things that are deemed feminine are innately frivolous, right? We only label frivolous spending to be lattes and manicures. It's not NFL season tickets. It's not golf clubs. That's a whole other conversation about spending. But the interesting thing about girl math is that we're almost saying it's funny to be broke. Hmm. It's like, lulls, I'm so broke. And isn't that so relatable? And it's hysterical. It's almost not cool to be financially stable, especially like in internet culture and for millennials and Gen Z, because that isn't relatable to the average person. It isn't relatable to like not have debt and to be, you know, having three to six months plus of living expenses for your emergency fund and to feel Like you can pay and afford your bills. Now, again, this is a lot of systemic oppression. I'm always Mm -hmm. the first person to say that. These are a lot of factors outside of your control. But a lot of people are feeding into this feeling of like, oh, yeah, you know, I do have money in order to afford the things that I love. And I do have money in order to take care of myself. But I am going to blow it all for the bit. Like, I'm going to blow all my money because it's funny. And I'm like, that's not the conclusion here. Please let that not be the conclusion. Last question before we talk about solutions. How do financial companies and businesses in general use that attitude you just described to encourage people to take on debt? And one of the things that keeps coming up as, as we talk about new forms of debt are those micro uh, mm-hmm. purchases you can make where yep. you're going to buy a $200 sweater and all of a sudden this little button pops up and says, oh, you could just pay it for four payments of $49.99. I literally just went and got a new phone yesterday. I've had a phone since 2020. I need a new phone. And of course, you know, they're like, hey, you can pay this, you know, you can buy this brand new iPhone. Uh, they don't even tell you you can pay it in full, right? They're, they tell you hmm. like, hey, every month, in addition to your phone plan, we're going to charge you, what, 20 bucks for this phone. That's the default setting. Now, they don't charge interest, but a lot of these other companies, if you don't make your payments, right, they're going to charge you interest. If you go and buy a sweater at X company, right, just to your point, the sweater's 100 bucks, 200 bucks, it'll say, oh, but do you want to make four payments of $20? How about that? And no, there's not going to be interest, but there's interest if you don't make your payments. 
I mean, it's like layaway, right? We used to think about like going to Walmart and Christmas time and you could lay away your purchases. Like this is not new. It's just, it's just new clothing, right? It's just like, it's a new version of this with the internet. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. It probably has some sort of catch. And this is again, where it's really important. I know it's really boring, but it's important to read the fine print before you make any sort of financial choice. If it seems too good to be true, if your gut like tings a little bit, it's probably too good to be true. What should somebody do if, uh, like our listener, Anna, who has over 9K in credit card debt, yeah. um, they're listening to this, they felt the guilt and the shame, they kind of understand how they got in this mess uh, a little better now. Um, what do you do when you're ready to start getting out? There's got to be a place to start. It must feel insurmountable. So for Anna and anybody else listening that feels like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning in debt. I don't know how to move forward. First thing, and it sounds fluffy and touchy-feely, do everything you can to release the shame that you have around debt. This feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. I got into debt. I am a bad person if I have debt. I talk about this in my book as one of the narratives that gets perpetuated. Like I am a bad person if I have debt. Your self-worth is not your net worth. It's okay. You either made this choice because you thought it was the right thing to do or because you didn't know, or even you just thought, oh, I'll figure it out later. And beating yourself up even more is not going to do anything. It's only going to make you feel terrible. So release any of that shame and guilt as a like subset, uh, uh, you know, part one B to this or one A to this, I would say as well, don't feel like just because you're in debt that you have to completely hate your life until your debt is gone. You're allowed to still do things that bring you joy. Diets don't work. 98% of diets don't work because the more you tell me I have, I can't have fried chicken, the more I want fried chicken. And that's not a willpower thing. That's not a, how badly do you want it thing? That's literal psychology. So if you do want to get out of debt, the focus here is progress, not perfection. It is not all or nothing. You will spiral. You will spin out. You will likely not pay off your debt if you try to go cold turkey of like, I'm never spending any money on anything I love ever again. In terms of the how to pay enough debt, like I said before, it's actually shockingly simple. The how is simple. The consistency is what's hard. The how is contributing your monthly payments right? So whatever you're with credit cards, it's not only paying your minimum payments. If you can, you need to be paying off every single purchase from now on, on time and in full. And then if you do have extra money, you need to call up your credit card company. I have a script for this in my book and you need to ask them, how do I contribute to the principal of this debt? As a reminder, again, the principal is the original amount of money you took out. And if you lower the principal, you're lowering the total cost of your debt. Companies make this difficult for you. I had a car loan and I remember sending in an extra $50 because I had it one month and it just made next month's cheaper. It took my, let's say, $400 car payment to now $350, but it didn't actually do anything. It didn't lower the cost. And when I called them up and said, how do I contribute to the principal? They were like, oh, you have to send a check to this random P.O. box in Iowa, which for geographical reference is about a five-hour flight from where I live. And they're like, you have to send an additional check to this separate place. Now, they did not tell me that until I called. This is, again, the BS of companies trying to keep you in debt because it makes them more money. 
So you need to call and be very specific. How do I contribute to just the principal of this debt? And they should tell you. Then with any additional money, you're either going to send that check or you're going to click that box when you're making online payments and be very specific about where that extra money goes. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing until we get out of debt. Now, again, there's going to be months and maybe even full periods where you can't contribute any extra money. That's okay. The goal is making good decisions as many as you can from here on out. It's a lot harder to dig yourself out of a hole if you're still putting sand in it. So again, this is why we're making our full payments on time as we progress and contributing extra money to the principal if we have it. It sounds like there are no shortcuts here. No. However, (laughs) I see shortcuts advertised. Um, Yes. Lots of times I am on public transit here and Mm -hmm. one of the incredibly ubiquitous ads is to get out of debt. Call us. We'll help. We'll take you out of debt. You just pay us. I think the way it works is they promise to consolidate all of your debt and then you just pay them rather than paying your student loans, your credit card, your car loans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Is that a good deal? How does it work? I know you're going to say read the fine print, but just in general. (laughs) Great question. Yeah. In my research for the book, a lot of the questions were like, okay, but like my get out of jail free cards, right? Like that's kind of what's offered. Like, are they good ideas? Um, Consolidation is exactly what it sounds like. They're taking uh, maybe three of your credit cards that have debt and they're consolidating them into one loan. Refinancing means like taking a loan at 10% interest and making it 8% interest. The other one is like a zero APR for a uh, like particular amount of time. So like a transfer of debt from one credit card to another. And they're saying, Hey, I'm not going to charge you interest for six months, a year, whatever that looks like. So I will say with all of these, they could be helpful for you. And the reason I say could is you have to make sure the math works. What happens a lot is, again, we just are so stressed about our debt that we want this get-out-of-jail-free card, and we'll just say, yeah, this sounds great. Okay, fine. It might be a lower interest rate, which could very much be a positive thing, but the loan term could lengthen. So you might be paying less in interest, but you're paying it over a longer period of time. That math might not work. That math might not actually put you in a better financial standing. With all of these things, A, the math has to work, and B, you have to have a plan. This cannot be something that you're doing as like hitting the that was easy button and just being like, I'll figure that out later. If you are opening a credit card to do a balance transfer, if you are consolidating your debt, if you're refinancing, this is something that you have to do with a plan to actually pay it off. It can't be your temporary Band-Aid fix while you ignore it for another period of time. So if you are going to do it, make sure the math works and make sure you have a plan together that you're going to stick to. How the heck can people find a plan, make a plan, stick to it in an economy that is fluctuating as rapidly as uh, ours, both in Canada and the United States has over the past couple of years? And here I refer to everything from interest rates, groceries, gasoline, all the daily parts of your life. It feels incredibly unstable it seems impossible to stick to that kind of long-term debt repayment plan. I mean, you cry a lot first. Um, Like, we're in a capitalist society. This is the system we currently have. I don't know about you. I don't love it. I'm not a fan. But this is what we got right now. If I loved it, we wouldn't have this show. Right, right. So while we work to change the system, we have to exist within the system. So 
the goal is to exist within capitalism, do what you can to put your oxygen mask on first. And then once you are content and stable, you start helping others and we start changing the system for everybody else. So if debt feels overwhelming and you're also viewing it as a form of protest of like, I don't want to pay off my debt. The act of paying off debt is not a form of protest. That just sucks. But the act of becoming debt-free is a form of protest. Like that is a form of protest against these, you know, billion dollar companies that are trying to get your money. It is against, you know, uh, you not having somebody holding, you know, uh, this thing over your head. The paying off debt is rough. It is hard. It is hard work. And that's why we're looking for progress over perfection here. Again, there's going to be times where you can't contribute extra money. There's going to be times where you just feel like giving up. The point though, is to think about what it's going to feel like to be debt-free, to not have, again, this this feeling of uh, somebody that you owe money to, as well as like what your freed up money can start offering you. If you're not sending them this amount of money every month, what can you do with that money instead? Can you save for a house? Can you take a vacation? Can you start a business? Can you donate to causes you believe in? Can you move into a slightly nicer apartment? Like, the goal with getting debt-free is to have options, just like anything personal finance. So if you can start picturing your life debt-free and work backwards of this is how it's going to feel, this is how my life is going to change for the better, and then I'm going to create a plan to get there. Maybe I can do it in six months. Maybe it's going to take a couple years. That's okay. That's pretty normal. But making that plan and staying consistent rather than perfect is really going to make a difference for you. Tori, thank you for this. And thank you for encouraging our guests to take care of their own financial safety, even while they're working to throw off the yoke of capitalism. We love it. Thank you so much for having me. If you want more of Tori's advice on everything from managing your debt to learning to invest once you're out of debt, you can check out Tori Dunlap on Instagram and TikTok at herfirst100k. Her book and her podcast are both called Financial Feminist. They can be bought wherever books are sold and listened to, you know this term, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for those of us who want to make sure that they avoid taking on debt, I make that sound like I'm in debt right now. I am not, but I have been there. If you're listening to this, I have been in lots of debt. I worked my way out. Much like Tori says, it's possible. Let's summarize how to get at it. First, you've got to know the difference between the principal, which is the amount you originally borrowed, and the interest, which is the amount you're paying on top of what you borrowed. There are lots of people who have been paying off their student loans or other debts for years, only to realize that by paying whatever the minimum was, they actually owe more now than what they originally borrowed. So whether you are paying off a loan or a line of credit or even a credit card, You need to get in contact with the organization you owe it to. Ask them directly whether the monthly amount that you are paying is going to the principal or the interest. They might try to make you jump through hoops to start paying off that principal, but it is worth it. And in fact, it's the only way to get out of the red. Second, the real key to getting out of debt is a good repayment plan. Do your best to make your payments on time and in full and steer clear of keeping any owing balance month over month. This will help you avoid paying a lot of money in interest. If you can pull it off, but if that's not possible, 
The next best thing you can do is, again, continue to send your monthly minimum repayment on time. For those who sometimes miss deadlines, try setting a calendar reminder. Or if you know you'll have funds at a certain time of the month, skip that and set up a monthly auto transfer at that time. Do whatever it takes to save yourself the anxiety of missing these payments because you're going to get dinged every time you miss one. It's going to make you feel like you're failing. You're going to go further into that debt spiral. Last thing, for those of us who have the bad habit of using our credit cards for non-necessary purchases or even spur-the-moment out-of-budget things, there is a way to avoid that. Take that credit card information off your phone, off the autofill on your computer. Anything that will allow you to impulse buy something you don't need or can't afford, make it harder for yourself. Make yourself have to jump through hoops the way the companies do when you want to pay off the principal. They do it because it works. And listen, debt is unavoidable. Debt sucks. Do what you can to protect yourself from it. But also, please, if you made it to the end of this episode, cut yourself some slack when you need it. You've still got a life to live, and you can handle it. Thank you again to Tori for sharing her tips and her understanding for those struggling with credit debt. And thank you, Anna, for opening up and sharing your money problem with the team. This stuff is not easy, and we appreciate it. If you have a money problem, even if it's tough to talk about, we want to hear from you. I hope you know by listening to this episode that we will find somebody empathetic to talk with about it. You can email us anytime. The address is hello at itepod.ca. You can also call us and just ramble, talk it out. If you do that, make sure you leave us the information to get in touch with you. Otherwise, it's just something for us to listen to. We don't need your real name. We do need your real numbers. The phone number for calling us to leave a voicemail is 416-935-5935. If you want to find us on social media, we are on both Instagram and TikTok at in this economy pod. If you want more of this show, if you want to share this show with somebody who could maybe use it or might just enjoy it, we would be extremely appreciative of that. If you listen to podcasts at all, you know that you can do that by liking, by rating, by taking the time to write out a review, by subscribing, by following, by doing whatever your favorite podcast app lets you do. I am your host and executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This episode was written and produced by Ali Graham. The sound design was done by Robin Edgar and the story editing by Stephanie Phillips. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. Together, that's us here at the Frequency Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week on In This Economy. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.